0: I grew up poor and I never wanted to be in the position that I grew up in, you know, that I saw with my parents and I saw with myself. I remember people bringing us some of those government assistance foods over so that we could eat. Um, And so I just didn't want and it motivated me. And I knew that my way out would be through education. And so I always excelled in school and did all those things so, so that I could live differently.
1: You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
2: righty, welcome back to another episode of Millionaires Mail podcast 237. Jace, what's going on? How are you? Doing
1: great, man. How you doing?
2: Good, good, doing good. We were talking a little bit about the changes that are coming to company 401ks, a decent amount of changes, everything from possibly allowing crypto to automatic, what do they call it, automatic requirement, right, or automatically putting people into 401k. Um, So a few changes coming up, it seems.
1: Yeah, I think some of that automatic enrollment uh, is, is prevalent among a lot of companies, but having a requirement such that you enroll employees and you also have a you know not just enroll them but you're requiring them to to put to you know put in three percent or whatever versus allowing them to just uh choose right off the bat will be interesting we we did this at a couple different companies i've been a part of and you know part of it was to to for various reasons that we could get into you know on a different episode but It was interesting because we only had like, I don't know, less than 1% actually ended up opting out after the fact. So it was like people just didn't want to go click the button to enroll. But if you automatically enrolled them, they weren't going to go click the button to get out type things. So pretty, pretty interesting. But also the, you know, having crypto and allowing crypto to be traded with inside tax advantaged accounts like a 401k would be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, You know, especially as crypto has become much more prevalent, you know, over the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, so a couple interesting stats. This says just a business article online says 68% of private workers, 6'8 have access to 401ks, only 50% use that. So some of the automatic enrollment I think is is starting to or is is trying to attack that problem. This says by the end of the decade, 21% of the country's population will be 65 years old or older up from 15% in 2016. Most retired adults have some type of retirement savings, but only 30% think their savings are on track. So you start thinking about that and social security. I mean, really this change though, isn't going to affect the people that might be in trouble here retiring in the next 10 years, right? Probably not enough time for them to catch up realistically. Yeah, probably not at all. But anyway, maybe you need a change and and Bitcoin's interesting too. I mean, it's getting easier and easier to buy right a cryptocurrency in general but potentially adding that as a 401k option is interesting i think fidelity i recently read was one that is recently allowed 401k plans that are done through fidelity to add crypto to your holdings
1: yeah man that's your that's yours right you're going to get some get well, some crypto know, in your I fidelity know, I know, I accounts say <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Anyway, some interesting changes I think I think are coming up and then we'll talk about these I-bonds maybe in next week intro. I know there's been a, a lot of talk there and I think the deadline was uh, Friday, last Friday a few days ago if you wanted to buy in and, and lock that 9% for the first six months. I think it dropped down to seven after that or was dependent on inflation tick those out six months at a time. But we'll talk about that coming up because I think that's been a hot topic in personal finance and something. It's it's limited to $10,000 per social security number. Admittedly, I don't know on the kids if there's a cutoff on age. So anyway, we'll talk about that next week. I know that's kind of been a hot topic and it seems like with inflation continuing to go up, that will probably continue to be a topic, um, not just in the last week or two when it's hit more of the news. So anyway, this week we have Keisha, net worth of 59 Corporate executive that grew up poor and has made a few career changes along the way. So fun to have her on. Last week uh, we had a guest interview with Chad, but also Mitch, net worth of one point one, and drove drove Uber on the side. So that was one of his side hustles that he did just to earn money when he was driving to work. He tried to drive for Uber, pick up somebody along the way. Uh, He's only thirty two years old, so a young millionaire, and talked about uh, what that means for him and taking some time back from work, maybe not working as hard, hustling as hard because now he's kind of got that critical mass. So interesting interview with Mitch. If you have a a question for one of our millionaires, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com or go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com, hit the tab, ask a millionaire, and you can write in and we'll ask that live on the show. So thanks for tuning in everybody. And without any further delay, let's get right into the interview with Keisha. Keisha, do you want to
1: just give us a little about your background or what you're up to now?
0: Yes. Hi. So, um, I am a corporate executive, and I worked my way through college, uh, with and graduated with no, uh, no student loans, and um, you know, made multiple changes in my career to advance, and um, you know, my net worth now is about five point nine million dollars. I'm a do-it-yourself index investor. Uh, Never really used a a financial advisor for any long period of time, and uh, one of the things that I learned early on is that I needed to, wanted to, I should say, put God first in everything that I did. And because of that, I believe he has, has shown, given me a way um, to be successful in life.
1: Awesome. So net worth of 5.9 million. How is that broken up?
0: So um, it is broken up with about a 2.5 million in a taxable brokerage account. Um, I have an HSA of 40 dollars. I just started um, investing in that a couple of years ago. Just learned about the benefits of that. Um, one hundred sixty three thousand in Roth. Um, I have one point five million in a four hundred one k. I have about twenty thousand in cryptocurrencies and seven hundred sixty five thousand in stock options and RSUs. And then also, right now, my pension is about eighty five thousand dollars a year when I when I retire. Okay.
1: And have you always been an index fund investor?
0: So I've always been. Um, so since the time that I first learned about 401k and my, what I call my first real job, um, and they told me that I would get a match if I would put a certain amount in, I always put that minimum amount in to get the match. And I can tell you when I first started, I had no idea. Where I was putting the money, I think I looked at the funds and I think at that time I may have chosen like fixed assets and balance. So I think it was really, really conservative at that time. And then I went. And so I would always just invest in my 401k. And then I started to have a conversation with a coworker and she talked about dividends and in investing. And I remember buying a few stocks early on, right before the dot com buff. And I can remember being like buying like GE and Cisco and some of those things. And, you know, they just sat there. They never rose. And um, and so I think my first impression of the really Invest in the stock market is like, you know, this stuff, does, this doesn't work. And then I stopped for a while and then I'm not sure. Oh, I know what it was. Um, Larry Burkett. I, I, should definitely mention him in my church. We, uh, did a budgeting class and Larry Burkett talked about investing and index investing. And that's really got me started on budgeting, becoming debt free. And, and I started to, to, to buy mutual funds.
1: Interesting. So you've been investing in your 401k since basically you graduated college. Is that correct? That is correct. And always enough for the match. How many years do you think you've maxed it out or or done more than just the match?
0: So I definitely have done more than the match for maybe 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Would you say you've maxed it out that whole period?
0: I've maxed out my 401k Maybe for 10 of those 20 years. And so that means fully maxed the, you know, pre tax and after tax. I've been doing that for the last 10 years.
1: Okay. And are you going to continue to do that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a six million bucks, let's call it. Did you ever think that you would be here at six million?
0: Never, ever in my wildest dreams. I think, you know, a few. So 10 years ago, I became really serious about investing. And what I mean by that is at least I started to educate myself a bit and just trying to understand. And I really got focused on these fees. And when I realized, because at one point I was, I had some um, bonds at Edward Jones and oh, and I also had some mutual funds at at Edward Jones and they weren't index funds, they were active funds. And I realized the fees. And so that really got me to understand, you know, looking into what is this all about? And so I switched and started to really focus and move to Vanguard and start focusing on reducing, reducing my fees.
1: Interesting. So now that you're at six million, at what point do you say, hey, I've made it. I'm going to move on to something else. Or are you going to continue to work?
0: That's a good question. And I can say, uh, so I am, uh, I will be 49 um, in this year. And I can remember a few years ago, it was three years ago, where I was um, coming back from an international assignment back to the US, and I was just tired of working um, in corporate America, and I was just ready to retire. And so I i was listening to a podcast, and I found the podcast where it talked about, I think it was like the $98 financial plan. Um, and so I, you know, met, with the person, and he reviewed my finances, and he basically said you could you could retire today <laughs> and and so and so, I really considered that, and then I met with a few of my really closest friends, I call them my board of directors and so before we make any major decisions in life we we get together and we talk through the pros and the cons and what should we do. And they, you know, gave me some advice. Maybe I should try something different before I decided that uh, I would leave Corporate America because I'm not the type that could just maybe travel and not do anything. I have to be doing something. And I really at that time didn't have a plan. I just wanted to leave, but I wasn't going to something. Um, and so then I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to to retire, but I would change careers. And and that's what I did at that time. And I was and I would say that that conversation that I had for that $98 financial plan was just one of the most insightful um, that I had, because before that conversation, I was carrying a mortgage. I had like $500,000 in cash. Uh, you know, I didn't invest in at, at an HSA. I didn't really know what that was. I didn't know what a mega backdoor Roth was. I wasn't doing any of those types of things. And I, I you know, I wasn't investing in small cap value funds. And so as a result of that conversation, I changed my investment approach to, to the one that I have today.
2: And and just to reiterate on the allocation, no other real estate, correct? Just about the seven hundred or so in your home equity in your primary, your primary home.
0: Yeah, it's about eight hundred now. Eight hundred now. Okay. Mm -hmm.
2: And any debt at all? No debt. Mortgage? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. So, I mean, congrats, obviously, on your success. And Chase just mentioned it $6 million, right? Did you ever think you would be there? Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned just a couple of years ago here, this is when a lot of this got started, right? You mm-hmm. just said you were holding 500000 in cash. You mm-hmm. didn't have an HSA. Maybe you were invested differently in, in your retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. And you just alluded to that that conversation with your friends was maybe the the change or what triggered the change. Is that what mm-hmm. triggered the change or how did this all kind of come to be here?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, it certainly was the catalyst uh, for the change. I could also remember that the planner, financial planner at the time telling me, you can actually start spending some money now. <laughs> uh, and, and he said, you've been living well below your means. I can tell for years now, it's okay that you can start spending. And that was hard for me Um, being a saver all my life to just suddenly just start spending was difficult and I think that started it and then I just started to listen to podcasts just after podcasts and I learned like the doe Roller podcast I mean I think I listened to every episode of those and I, I just learned so much about diversification and, and where to put money versus whether it should be in your taxable account or your tax diverted account I just learned so many strategies and for the first time I was more intentional and I understood what I was doing versus just being a good steward and and saving I felt like I turned from that to investing
2: yeah I mean pretty amazing so so you have i'm just let me ask you this first how old were you when you when you hit your first million
0: i you know I actually didn't know that number I had to go back and look at my um <laughs> my statements and i i Hit the million when I was maybe 39 or 40. So that was about eight years ago.
2: So in the last eight years, it's gone from one to six million? Yes. Wow. And and what was the big driver there? Do you get big yes. increases in income? Obviously, the stock yes. market's been roaring the last 10 years as well. Um, the restricted. Stock units or
0: all of that. So uh, certainly, my salary has increased significantly. Um, I mentioned a bit earlier that I've changed careers. So I'm a software engineer by trade. spent spend most of my career in technology, but the last six or seven years, I've moved into procurement roles. I've moved into commercial, sales, and marketing roles. Now I'm in human resources, and every time I've moved, um, those Different careers I've lived overseas. My salary has increased dramatically. And also with that came the stock options and the RSUs. And so the way that they invest um, at the company that I work for is every three years. And so every three years they are, they've started to invest, you know, and, and I just basically just put them in the market. I take them out and I put them in the market.
2: So it's pretty crazy, Keisha. You got to admit, you're quote one from one to six in eight years. So five million. I mean, you're averaging five hundred grand, give or take seven hundred grand each year in net worth growth.
0: Yeah, which is, and I don't think. And so the the crazy thing about it is, I didn't watch it. I didn't notice it until recently when I started to put everything in the personal capital. And then I realized that I'm making more on my investments than I am in my salary plus bonus. And when I saw that, I, it was just unbelievable. And now every year, it just goes up. Like, it just, just keeps, it keeps increasing. Yeah,
2: so excluding the options and RSUs in the home, you have a... Wow, give or take what three point seven five four million dollars in the market, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, and that doesn't include the pension. I have a multi-million dollar pension
2: that you'll get paid out once you retire. Yes. Wow. So, so let's talk about the job change a little bit because that seems to be one of the catalysts for this Mm -hmm. growth. And you mentioned obviously the conversation with your friends where they suggested Mm -hmm. you do that. But how did you decide to do that mid-career, and what Mm -hmm. to make the jump to?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I would start. So I, I guess I would start that ten years. Years ago, and that's that's when I joined the company that I'm with now, and um, and so had been working at another major corporation for years, and I maybe got when I got in there, I had one one promotion in like 10 years. And it became obvious to me that in order for me to continue to grow, I needed to leave that company. And it was tough. And I can remember my father saying to me at the time, you know, when I told him, hey, I'm leaving this company and I'm moving from the Midwest to the East Coast, he thought, why would you do that? You have a great company. This is crazy. You're not you're not thinking and all those different things. But when I moved to the East Coast to work for the company that I'm at, you know, my salary increased. I started to get stock options. I can remember I had stock options and I didn't know what they were. Like I didn't know what an RSU was. Again, I was the first corporate executive in our family. And so no one, I had no one to talk to about stock options and what to do with them, et cetera. I just had to learn these things as I went on the way. But then as I went to this new company, after two years, I went from you know, uh, director to executive director. Another two years, I went from executive director to vice president. You Then another four years, I went from vice president. Vice president, we have different levels and to to where I am now. And I just got another promotion after being promoted after a year. So and then the the sky is the limit. And so, you know, getting those different promotions and different functions and different levels have certainly helped to accelerate, you know, my earnings and, and my career.
2: Wow. Good for you. And and let's jump back to the cash. So mm-hmm. before all this, $500,000 in cash, what were you saving it for? Or was it just because, hey, I don't know how to invest this. I don't know where to put it.
0: No, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do with it. It's because I grew up poor and I never wanted to be in the position that I grew up in, You know that I saw with my parents and I saw with myself. And so even though I had this money in the market, I still needed to ensure that I had cash readily available. Um, and so I would put the money in safe CDs um, and I and I would just roll them over to another CD every year, every year until, you know, I had this conversation with a financial advisor. And then also, you know, with the with inflation and the rates, the CD rates turned to nothing. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and put it into the market. I have enough of a buff.
2: And you mentioned you grew up poor. Also, uh, previously, before we started recording here, I I know your parents didn't graduate Mm -hmm. high school. So what influence did that have on you in terms of financial and mindset? You know, obviously, it seems like you're very driven now and passionate about what you do. But talk a little bit about your upbringing and how that's Mm -hmm. led you to where you are now
0: yeah so I was um in a family i had it was i had two a brother, a younger brother and an older sister and in my mother and my father and it was interesting in that if when I looked at my extended family like all of my uncles and my aunts they were all on like government assistance or welfare and so my mother and my father they always worked and I didn't know it at the time my mom had an office job and we really thought she had a really good job but come to find out she was only being paid minimum wage and then my father he had a middle he, I think he was had, had a pretty good job right uh, but uh, the, but they never had anything right so we never you know moved from relatives to relatives they just weren't good stewards of their their finances And so when I grew up, it was very difficult. Like I would see, you know, other kids in our neighborhoods, they could go to Six Flags or do some of these things. And we could never do that. And I remember having a teacher, she was my fourth grade teacher, and she just kind of took me under her wings. And she would take me places and, you know, buy me clothes and do all those things. And then when I started, I started working when I was 14 in like fast food. And when I first you know, got my paycheck, I would just love cashing the check and it would give you this little savings book and they it, and it would kind of stamp it and say, here's your amount. And I just love watching that balance grow. And so it came to be that my parents would actually borrow money from me. And so I just became a saver from the very beginning because I just never wanted to not have something or wanted, you know, to be able to meet my needs. If I could remember, I can remember also that we would be around people that were on government assistance and they would get this, these foods like cheese and all these different things. And now because my parents worked, Even though we were poor, they didn't qualify for it. So I remember people bringing us some of those government assistance foods over so that we could eat. Um, And so I just didn't want, and it motivated me. And I knew that my way out would be through education. And so I always excelled in school and did all those things so um, so that I could live differently.
2: How did you know that was your way out?
0: I don't, I just think that for me, that was the only, I saw it, I didn't see another way. I really didn't. I don't know where it came from. Well, I do know where it came from. You know, I have a very strong faith and I just believe I was be led in, in, in that way.
1: Keisha, I want to I want to press you on something a little bit that, that we've kind of hit on. So, you've gone on this journey, grew up poor, see your way through education, your belief in God. You go and, and, and get this great career, switched career paths a little bit along the way, accelerated your earnings. All of a sudden, you decide what the heck? Like, I need to kind of figure out what I'm doing with some of my finances. But you're innately a saver, I think, as Mm -hmm. as you've communicated to us. And now you've accumulated such a substantial net worth. You're still pretty young for, for relative terms. What does the next decade of investing, career, life look like for Keisha?
0: You know, I'm trying to figure that out. I do know that so I'm a giver and I have always been a giver since I got my first job. So I've always tithed. And so for me now it's nothing to to tithe. And and and, and those checks are substantial now, but it doesn't even bother me. I, I enjoy it. And I and I did and I do remember when I think I mentioned Larry Burkett early on that really transformed my thought around saving and budgeting and all of that. And I remember one of the goals I wrote down as I was going through one of his classes was that I want to have a fund where I can just give. Right. So I want to save money so that I can spend A part of my life just giving it away and so that is definitely one of my goals i want i want to get to a place and i don't know if that's two years from now five years from now that you know i want to spend the rest of my life earning money to give it away so that's that's what i'd like to do
1: who will you give to and how, how will you go about that process or have you thought through that yet
0: Yeah, I have. And so, you know, and I've already started. So there are some ministries Well, it'll be um, Christian based ministries, definitely, um, that I will give to uh, where. um, So I've built wells and orphanages and schools in India and Africa through a ministry that I give to. So I just want to continue to do that. So I'll just I'll bet. The ministries, uh, but I definitely want to give through Christian organizations um, that are, that are changing the lives of those that are underprivileged.
1: And you don't have a, n- a number at this point anymore.
0: No, I I did. I never had. I mean, I had that desire to be a millionaire, but I have. When I you run some of these calculators, and I can see like where this could grow to. Um, and so, at my company, we have a service where it takes your 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 finances and it kind of calculates it out and you know how much'll be you over by the time you retire and if I, if I live to ninety five based on my trajectory now and I have a fifty percent savings rate when I die i'll still have like fifty million is or something like that some crazy number that they're calculating
1: hmm so we get a lot of requests and just questions in from listeners who are in your stage of life and are just trying to figure out for themselves just like you are when to kind of wind it down and move on to that next phase in your case it sounds like you're going to do a lot of ministry and giving and whatnot how do you go about thinking about that process and winding your career down and moving on to that next phase and spending more and enjoying things maybe that you didn't while you were doing some of the things on your
0: yeah i i certainly am have been identifying some coaches that I can work with that can help me start to think through a plan and what's possible and what's next. Um, so I definitely plan to, to hire someone that's going to work me through this, walk me through this process. And and one thing I failed to mention that, I think I mentioned that I had a goal to retire at 50 and he, and I, I was told that I could retire when I was 47, but then when I showed the, the planner that was looking through my finances, my pension and all of that, and said, well, did you know that you have retiree medical uh, associated with your retirement benefits? And if you stay to age 55, he says, it will be worth it, right? He said, he basically said, you'd be crazy to leave this company before five, but I want to decide at least until, you know, until 55 so that I can get the retiree medical as well.
1: When you get that retiree medical, does that mean that you don't need, it, you know, you don't need to basically buy health insurance anymore either?
0: Yeah, it's very, the cost of it is so it's very very small. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask, you know, just in terms of your career and career management, and and maybe let's start with actually the RSUs. What would your advice be to somebody who may be getting those for the first time, or? Joining a company where that's going to be part of their compensation package. What, what mistakes did you make or what questions did you want answers to when you first started that process?
0: So, so great question. First of all, I get RSUs and stock options. I had no idea the difference between the two. So I, that would be the first thing is understanding that an RSU is guaranteed money after a certain amount of time and a stock, a stock option is the right to a certain amount of, of money after a certain period of time. And if you believe that the company that you're working for has a lot of potential for growth, you're better off getting as many stock options as possible uh, versus the RSU. So early on, because I'm thinking, hey, this is free money. When I first found out about it, I was getting all RSU for like the first three years Uh, and then to like talk to someone at work they explained to me the difference and he says Keisha you never he said I don't know anyone that has become a millionaire off RSUs but I definitely know uh, those that have become millionaires off stock options and so I started from going from like 100% RSUs to 100% stock options right at the right time and the company stock has just gone through the roof since since then. So just understanding the difference between the two, understanding where you are now in your finances, if you need the money. So if you're planning for college or some of those different things, you know, maybe do 50-50. But if you don't need it, then try to as much as you can to get the options if you believe the growth of the company is there in the future.
1: Have you sold some of those off over the years?
0: Yes, I have. So because I have a high concentration in healthcare, To diversify a bit more, I have a policy that or guideline, financial policy statement, personal statement, I should say, that within one year of vesting, I will sell the um, options and and put them in the market. And so I pretty much stick to that. So I sell them uh, within a year of vesting every time just to diversify.
1: Interesting. And that's partly because they keep rolling and you're getting more and more every year.
0: Yeah, every year I get every year I they they invest, I have more.
1: Okay. How did you decide to pay off your house?
0: Oh, that was a tough decision. And it's actually one of the decisions I, I regret when I look back on it. I the reason that I wanted to pay it off was more, I guess, psychological than anything to just be able to say, I am completely debt free and I had the cash. Like I you know, I had a ton of cash just sitting up. Um and and so and it wasn't Gaining a lot of uh, interest, and 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 I think my interest rate at the time when I paid the house off was maybe four um, percent, and so I paid it off for psychological reasons. Um, but I know if I had kept that money in the market <laughs> over the last six years, you know, I lost on a lot of gains. But I I I say I what's one of my regrets. But then again, I'm not sure if I do, I really do regret it because I like like the understanding and the feeling to know that I don't owe anything to anyone.
1: They'll give you a mortgage on it, I bet. (laughs) If you want to go back, right? (laughs) (laughs) So how many times have you bought and sold houses throughout your career?
0: Good question. So because of my career and because of the changes that I had to make in order to progress. I have had to sell houses. I think the longest I've ever stayed in the house was maybe five years. And that was the first house that I had actually built from scratch. I acted as my own general contractor so I could save tons of money. Always thinking about savings. And so so I haven't been able to really get the appreciation that others would get if you stay in the house, you know, five or six years. However, every time I've moved, but one time, it was a company relocation. So they paid the commissions and most of the closing costs and all those different things. So I don't believe that I became, and I never lost money. I just lost out on the opportunity of of, of gains. So maybe five or six times.
2: And you mentioned you bought your first house at the age of 23 for $63,000. Is that right?
0: Yes, that is correct.
2: Wow. And how come you never kept any of them or held any of them as rentals?
0: I have never had the desire to own real estate. And most of the people that I have talked to that have owned real estate have were just having regrets about owning it as far as all of the work associated with it. And because my career is very intense, I did, I felt like I didn't have the, the time or the energy to invest in another job. And that's what I saw real estate as. So I never really even considered Keeping those properties as rental properties.
2: Gotcha. Just curious, and mm-hmm. and then let me go back to your restricted stock units and and stock options that Jace was just talking about. How old were you when you made that career switch?
0: So um, when I made the career switch to where I started to get stock options, maybe. Thirty, I believe. I think I was thirty.
2: Okay, so you, you were still young because my my the follow up was going to be how did you get the stock options and grow the income so quickly and, and really what is your second career? But thirty is still pretty young. In, in, yeah, you know, yeah,
0: in the, the, first, the first the first yeah the first time I got the stock options was at a company where it, they were always underwater, so I never got a benefit of them. Um, and so not until I moved to this company, which it'll be eleven years in December, where I got options that actually. Increased in value year over year over year. So that was 11 years ago. So that's 40. Gotcha.
2: Gotcha. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So as I ask you questions and and as I listen to what you're what Jace asked and you listen to you answer, it seems like resilience is a big part of your story. Right. We talked about growing up. Your parents didn't finish high school. You grew up poor. You had a saving mindset you were pregnant as a teenager, right? Yes. You worked through worked jobs to, to mm-hmm. go through school. You didn't take out big student loans. You worked hard to keep debt under control. You were wise with your money. Just curious on resiliency. How has that led to your, or what part has that played in your success? Because to me listening, it seems like it was a big part of it.
0: It certainly was. I think that's the thread that goes um, through my life is that you get an obstacle, and you you know you figure out a way over it, around it, or you know um, under it, and and you know just by faith, knowing that you know I can overcome this, and that somehow, some way, you know I'll be able to to make you know uh, eliminate with with the lemon. So I would say absolutely. I think it takes resiliency to move one career leave a great company right for another company on on the east coast and you're from the midwest and then once you're there to leave a function that you've been training all your life to go to another function And every time you do this a bigger risk because you can say okay now this could be the one and, and i can remember always saying to myself okay okay keisha this is it you have this time you have bit are way more than you can chew. And this is going to be the end of it for you. But every time, you know, the grace is there, the resiliency is there. Um, and that, you know, somehow I rise to the top.
2: Yeah, good for you. Good for you. It's impressive. Did you worry about I mean, Jay asked if you, if, earlier, if you thought you'd ever get to 6 million, you said no. Along the journey, did you worry about money? And at at what point did you realize, you talked about meeting with your financial advisor. He said, hey, you can spend a little bit more now. But did you worry along the way? And at what point did you feel like, okay, I'm in a good position here. I don't need to worry so much going forward.
0: Yeah, I, um, I have always been concerned about money and having enough or not having enough. And it's just been a part of me because of the way that I grew up having so much lack. And I can honestly say that maybe within the last three years I have started to feel a bit more comfortable where I, I I'm convinced now that I don't think I will will run out, but yet I still save like crazy. Um and but don't get me wrong, I haven't lived a life of, you know, not doing I travel, um, you know, I live in a nice home. And and all those different things. So I don't feel like I've missed out on anything, but I certainly feel like I can now enjoy things a bit more because of the position that I'm in.
2: Yeah, I was just curious. It's just always interesting to me that, you know, you have somebody worth $6 million and did they worry along the way? And and do you wish you would have spent more along the way and, and these sort of things? So. Appreciate your answer there. On let's move to financial advisory. I know you hired a financial advisor a couple times. Um, you currently don't use a financial advisor, right?
0: That is correct.
2: So, what was your take on on using a financial advisor? Curious to hear how mm-hmm. that went.
0: Well, first of all, I don't. I think you can do it yourself. Absolutely. I think there's so much information out there on podcasts and books. You keep it simple. Do low cost index funds. You really don't need um, an an advisor. Um, I, I regret that when I was started listening to Dave Ramsey, and then I went out and got one of his advisors, I forget what they call them. And, and I can remember one time getting the statement in the mail and I looked at it and I'm thinking, okay, my account is down like maybe 10%, but yet I'm still paying him. I just could not understand that. And so that was the last financial advisor I hired put all my stuff back. in because I remember when I, when I got that advisor, I was in Vanguard, he took all of my stuff out of Vanguard and put it in Lincoln something I can't remember. And so then I, you know, I, once I fired him, I was like, that's it. I'm done. I can do this myself. And I started reading, listening to podcasts and all of that. So I really believe that you can do it yourself if you keep it simple.
2: Awesome. Do you have kids?
0: I do. I have three kids.
2: And how are you teaching them about money and, and how does thinking about how you grow up and now in the situation you're in, what, what changes have you made?
0: Yes. Yeah, so it's I'm constantly trying to educate them about money and they don't seem to get it. And it's unfortunate because I feel like when I was growing up, you know, there were things there was clearly things that I needed and that we did not have. And my kids have not had to, to go through life uh needing things. However, I was very conscious in not giving them everything. So if video games came out, they weren't getting the, the video game the year or the first two years that it came out and they weren't getting the hundred dollar sneakers that the people at their school were getting some of that some of those different things. So I wanted to teach them the value of money. But I've been trying to get so I have uh, older sons in their twenties um and one in the thirties and trying to com- you know tell them about the power of compounding and starting early and all of that but I just can't get them to to do it to, to just to, to they just don't have that saving type of mindset.
1: Do you plan on passing any down to them?
0: It's a good question. So I recently redid my estate plans and my wheels and before I had um you know just splitting it, you know, certain amount to charity percentage to, to my kids split up or whatever. And I've recently just changed that to just kind of a, a lump sum to each one of them. And then the rest goes to charity. So I do not plan to leave them lots of money. I plan to leave them something, but certainly not, not a, not, not a lot where they could just not work or do anything else.
1: Do they know of your wealth at all?
0: No, they, they don't know. I mean, they know that, you know, mom has a nice job and and all of that. And so, but recently, you know, my, um, my daughter has been saying, well, mom, you're rich. So I don't know who she's been talking to or what she's seeing. But no, they have no idea to the extent.
1: What about any other friends or family?
0: So I recently um, told like my, the the group that I said, it's called my board of directors, the the three women that I speak to, they know. They don't know to the extent. I, I certainly plan to send them this podcast. Um, I told them I would. But um, so, no, it's most people will not. Anyone knows it to the extent of what I have.
1: You mentioned this group of women that you've got as part of kind of your personal board of directors. When did you assemble that? And what's what's maybe the main purpose for that as it relates to your life and your financial future?
0: Yeah, so it's really, so maybe, um, I guess it's been 20 years we've been getting together. And not just from a financial perspective, it's just, you know, more encouraging each other and spiritual growth and things of the faith. And then um, and so, whenever we are going to make a big life choice or life decision, we come together and we talk about it. And just so, and finances, you know, comes up sometimes, but it's not the only thing that we talk about.
1: And how often do you meet?
0: Certainly less frequently uh, as the older we get. So it's it's right now it's more of on an as needed basis. You know, well, someone will call it, you know, call a meeting, and then we'll we'll have the discussion. But we don't have like we don't meet every quarter. Or, once a year or anything like that, it's just as needed.
1: And how did you get in touch with these people?
0: I met them at a job I had earlier in my career. And we became friends and just kept in touch ever since.
1: Interesting. And all of them are still at that same company or same job? Or have everybody kind of split and gone different Every- ways?
0: Yeah, everyone has split and gone different ways.
1: Do you think that would be... Advisable to somebody starting out to maybe assemble you know whether it's a mentorship or a board of directors like like you have was that intentional that way or would you advise somebody to do that?
0: Definitely, I would have done it early on if I understood the benefit of it. Just having people that you feel are like minded or why and different varying ages, right? Because I have, you know, one of the board directors, she's retired already, right? So she's been there. And, and so, yes, I would highly recommend having someone that you can bounce ideas off of and, and get some necessary advice, good advice and tough advice at times as well.
2: Awesome. Well, Keisha, thanks for telling your story. Let's wrap up here with some rapid fire questions, and, and then we'll go into some last words of advice and, and maybe some mistakes. So what's been your most expensive non-car, non-house purchase?
0: A ring? a fifth, No, uh, yeah, a ring, a $1,500 ring.
2: Okay. What's been your most expensive vacation?
0: Most, exp- I would say a vacation to Hawaii.
2: How much, five, give or take?
0: About five grand.
2: Five five thousand. Yes, five thousand. Okay. Uh, most expensive car you've ever purchased?
0: I just so here's a funny story. I just purchased so when okay I have to tell you this story. So when I was um, on this international assignment, I'm not sure if I mentioned that I lived uh, overseas for my company, and at that time they gave me a company car, and I can remember telling my friends that the only way that I would drive. Or Mercedes is if someone gave it to me I don't care if I can afford it there's no way I'm gonna spend that kind of money on a car so when I get on this assignment my company car is a Mercedes and so before then I drove Hondas I every Honda I've had like ten Hondas and loved it never had a problem with it but after driving that Mercedes I was ruined <laughs> you know just with the luxury and the ride <laughs> and all of that so when I came back from Europe I, I it was tough, but I bought another Honda, but I was so displeased. And so I recently, maybe two years ago, I bought a used uh, Mercedes GLE and I paid cash for it About uh, with a trade-in. was like $26,000. Okay.
2: What if you had to spend $10,000 right now on something? You couldn't keep it. You couldn't invest it. Had to spend it. What would it be on?
0: Uh, a vacation with my friends or my family.
2: Okay. Uh, we talked about a financial advisor. What about household income as much as you're comfortable sharing? What's your range of household income through your working life?
0: I can remember. So I'll start with real jobs. So not the jobs that I had prior to graduating college. So rem- I remember my first job, I got my offer letter. It was $33,500. I thought I had baited And then so my, so $33,500 in my current salary, with bonus is about 600
2: And what was that first job? We talked about the career switch a little bit. Now you're a corporate executive, but what was the first job in what field?
0: It was in computer programming.
2: Computer programming. Okay. Uh, wow. Amazing income. And then what about household expenses, annual household expenses?
0: It's about $85,000 a year.
2: So Keisha, you're the millionaire next door here. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, Jace, Jace asked you if people know if you're wealthy or not. You said no. I mean, you're real you're flying under the radar here.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: Okay. What does it mean to be happy or f- fulfilled? And has this money brought happiness and fulfillment to you?
0: So to be happy and or and fulfilled is to be able to have a choice in life to do what you want to do when you want to do it how you want to do it. And I can say I've been fulfilled um, and it wasn't the money or the net worth that got me there. It was just knowing that, you know, I'm doing my best. Um, I'm living out my fate and I'm able to help others and that I can leave a legacy.
2: Yeah, thanks for sharing. So last words here. If someone came to you and asked, hey, how could you do this? It's amazing. Six million dollars. I want to be just like you. What's your answer? How do they do it? What do they do along the way or what mistakes should they avoid?
0: Yeah, I would say certainly start early. Keep it simple. Keep your fees low. You know, get you some low cost index funds and and, um, automate as much as you can. Um, You know, put your money into your 401k, 401k automatically. Put your money into your brokerage accounts automatically. And don't make any rash financial decisions. And also not allow um, life creep. Like when you get a raise or a promotion, don't feel like you have to keep up with the Joneses to be able to demonstrate to others who you are. Just be comfortable in who you are.
2: Yeah. Hey, let me ask you one more, even though I just said that was the last question. In the form you filled out prior to the interview, you said, as a female, don't abdicate your financial independence. Mm, yeah. Is- you know, we've had we- – We always try to find as many women as we can to come on. So just wanted to get your take and give you a chance to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I would certainly say as as a woman, you need to make sure that you understand your finances, um, that you're able to support yourself um, and that you're you're investing in yourself as far as your career, your personal life, your spiritual life, um, because when you're at your best, then you can be uh, your best for others.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Keisha. Again, everybody, that's Keisha, net worth of $5.9 million. So amazing story. Congrats on your success.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank
1: you. Thanks, Keisha. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another
0: everyday millionaire.